Good morning. What does God want? I want to welcome you if you're not familiar with our series. We're in three weeks into our series on uh, the question that's more important than any other question we can possibly ask. And we're always looking to answer, what does he want with me, with my life, uh, today and tomorrow? Um, you know, Jesus spoke a lot uh, on many different things. And we find in Matthew 5, 6, and 7, uh, a series of messages or one long message, one sermon, if you will, that he, he gave uh, People disagree whether it's a compilation of, of his teachings or whether he did it at one, one sitting to a group of people, but it's commonly known as the Sermon on the Mount. And that's what we've been concentrating on uh, and will be concentrating on for the next few weeks and to answer the question, what does God want? And I'm going to have the ushers uh, come forward and offer anybody who wants a Bible a Bible. Raise your hand if you don't have a Bible. This is our gift to you because uh, that's where you're going to find the answers, That not from anything else, uh, and we want you to take that, that home if you, if you want to, and we actually will show the, the verses on the screen, and there will be, the page number is in there, on, for where that verse appears in the very Bible that we're handing out to help you find it if you don't know. So anyway, Jesus talks about some very, very important subjects, and uh, he knows that we are, we tend to be more inclined to deal with the symptoms, then the cause. So Jesus goes into some practicality on saying, listen, all these things out here, if you break a rule, that's not what it's about. It's much deeper than that. It's about what's going on on the inside. And today we will be talking about something that Jesus addresses. You might not think as we begin to read this verse from the Sermon on the Mount that it's about anger, but he talks about anger, particularly about what I would call anger management. You know, the great thing about this is no matter what, what age you are, every single one of us is going to have an opportunity, or maybe you've already had an opportunity on the way to church to deal with this subject. We all have those moments. Hopefully that doesn't describe your way to church. You know, God has a sense of humor because last week I was preaching this message over at uh, Wakefield at our other site. And about this, this moment, the, the, you know, the, the, tra the, the trailers, the movies started playing in the background when this what does God want was up on the screen. And so it said, what does God want? And there was a bunch of popcorn and candy and yeah, is that what God wants? Yeah, I'm down with that. You know what I mean? And this went on for five minutes. So it was quite, uh, quite interesting. And I said, God, you know, you have a sense of humor. You want me to get angry right now, don't you? But uh, he is in control. Everything worked out. 
I don't know. We all have a chance. If, you, Like I said, maybe you've had that opportunity already early this morning to experience anger or managing that particular anger. Or I guarantee you sometime this week you will, uh, or even today when you leave. Maybe you'll stub your toe on the way out and it'll be there for you. But we, this is such an important subject to talk about, and, and Jesus addresses this really at a deeper issue here on the Sermon of the Mount. The one thing I want to begin by saying is that uh, a lot of people, there's this misnomer that anger is a bad thing. And uh, anger is a God-given emotion. It's not a bad thing. Anger comes from God. As a matter of fact, God himself gets angry. You know, Jesus went into the temple on account, in one account in the Bible, in the New Testament, and he went in there and he, he looked around. The temple was sort of like their, their, their church of the day, and he saw it had been set up like a flea market, and he got really ticked off. He started kicking stuff over and whipping people and stuff, and it just doesn't fit. You know, the picture of Jesus that I grew up, you know, carrying the little lamb and being real sweet to everybody, he, he got fired up. He wasn't just bothered. He was throwing tables over. He got mad. We see God uh, in, a, in a psalm, in Psalm 30, where this, the, the author of the psalm is, is, is praising God from all, for all his great attributes, for all his wonderful attributes. And one of them, he says, for his, God, his anger lasts only a moment. I said, man, that's a great thing. God's anger lasts only a moment. Then we see in Psalm 38, verse 1, the psalmist writes, Lord, do not rebuke me in your anger or discipline me in your wrath. Another translation says it this way, Lord, can you just calm down and take a deep breath? I wouldn't go so far as to tell God how to rule the universe, you know what I mean? But that just shows us that God does feel and does get angry. It's a very normal thing. God doesn't even tell us not to get angry. He simply says in Ephesians 4.26, in your anger, do not sin. Comes that little, that little word, that three-letter word in the Bible, sin, which is not doing what God has told me I should do. Now, here's where I think we can draw a contrast between God's anger and generally our anger a lot of times. God gets angry because he sees what's being done is going to hurt the person doing it or others around them. For instance, if I sin, if I lie, cheat, lust, whatever, he looks down and he sees what I'm doing. It's a conscious choice. And he says, this is really going to hurt you. Not only you, but others around you. There's going to be consequences. This isn't, this isn't you're breaking a rule I gave you. Therefore, you're impugning me. I can't hurt God. How can I hurt God? I'm just me. Me breaking a rule impugns God. No, no, no. God says it's hurting you. So God hates the sin, but he loves the sinner. Sort of like an old cliche that people say. Now, contrast that with our fellow on, a, on the highway and coming home or anything that's happened in your life. Maybe you never get angry. I do. That's why I'm up here giving this message. God said, I need an expert, a recovering, you know, hater. Here, here I am, Lord. You know, and, and you get angry. When I get angry, usually it's not about what's the hurt that's happening to other people. What is it? It's personal. What you've done to me. Things aren't turning out the way 
I think they should. You hurt me. It's very, very personal. With God, it's not personal. With me, it is. And with you, it is. I think most people, when we get angry, it's about stuff that's done to us. Not about what, what's being done to other people. That's the right kind of anger. What's being, how people are being hurt, not what's done to us personally. And you know, when that happens, oh man, it, it can get silly, can it? I mean, you can get in an argument with someone and say things and do things and, oh, man, it could go on forever. And then if you ever get to a point where you look back, you, you see what the original argument was about or what you're all, you both are all upset about. And it doesn't, it doesn't compare to all the hurt, all the things that were said and all that kind of, all the drama. You know what I mean? It can be downright silly. It's like uh, about 10 years or so ago in Kansas, true story. I love this story because I think it illustrates this perfectly. There was a, a football player, a senior defensive end at the University of Kansas, and he was 6'3", 260, or thereabouts. Big dude, okay? And he was going through a drive-thru, a Taco Bell drive-thru window at 2 in the morning. You know, he had a couple of drinks and all that, and he was going through there. So this big old dude is in there. He puts in his order. The, 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 the employee gives him his order, and when he gets the bag. He, he, he opens it, and he looks that they missed one of his items, and he said, you missed a very important item. And the employee says, no, we didn't. We got the order right. You never made that order. He goes, you missed my chalupa. You don't mess with a man's chalupa. And, and then this, this argument occurred, and before you know it, the, the employee finally shut the window. The guy got mad, reached up, opened the window. Opening the window, he broke it. The employee freaked out, as I would have, a dude that big, and ran into the office along with two other night employees that were working, and they locked themselves in the manager's office, called the cops. Guess what? The cops show up. They find this 6'3", 260-pound dude stuck in the window trying to get in. True story. True story. He, he was charged with three misdemeanors, taken off to jail, and the rest is history. Now he's an illustration 10 years later here in North Carolina. Isn't that silly? Isn't that ridiculous? Over a chalupa, for goodness sakes. Man, a guy that big walk into a Taco Bell, buddy, take them all. They're all in the house. Take as many chalupas as you want. I mean, I, it's just it's ridiculous. But when you think about it, you and I, when we get mad, it's, it, and, and it's personal, a lot of times it's just over something really, really silly. And we have a hard time letting go of that anger. Well, Jesus says, listen, I'm going to talk about anger right now because there's a, there's a much more sinister side of personal anger that leads to much more sinister stuff. And that's where we pick up Jesus saying the following words in the Sermon of the Mount in Matthew chapter 5, beginning in verse 21. Jesus says, you've heard that it was said to the people long ago, do not murder. And anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you that anyone who is angry with his brother will be subject to judgment. Again, anyone who says to his brother of Raka is answerable to the Sanhedrin. But anyone who says you fool will be in danger of the fires of hell. Let's dig in here a little bit and see what Jesus is saying. First of all, he, he starts off with something that's pretty logical, pretty practical. Murder is wrong. I mean, it's even in the Ten Commandments in the Old Testament. God listed as number six, thou shalt not murder. And people there were down with that. 
I mean, people in our society are even down with that. You know, you don't murder someone. If you murder somebody, you're going to have to pay a pretty steep price. It still happens, but people generally know <laughs> that that's serious, right? So he says, you've, and he says, you've heard said, do not murder, and rightly so, that's right. He goes, but then he, he, he turns it. Remember, he's dealing not with the symptom, murder. He's going a little deeper and dealing with the cause. He said, but I tell you, anybody who's angry with his brother will be subject to judgment. Then he, then he brings up some modern-day language back then. He says, anybody who calls us says to his brother, Raka. And Raka was an Aramaic term um, that someone would say when they were trying to, to, to describe someone as being empty-headed, unintelligent. Sort of like today we would say, stupid. Sorry about the spit. Idiot. You know? We're stupid, idiot. That was Raka. Jesus said, if anybody, anybody says that, they can be dragged, dragged in front of this Sanhedrin. Now, the Sanhedrin back then was kind of like the Supreme Court of the Jews, you know? It's made up of 71 men, and it was, you know, to get dragged before the Sanhedrin was a serious offense. Just today, it'd be like us being dragged into the, you know, in front of the Supreme Court. That's pretty serious. People went, what? Fool? For that? And Jesus said, let me, let me ask, let me, let me just rant ramp it up a little bit here he said and anybody who says you fool to his brother is in danger of fires of hell you fool now you fool doesn't really have a translation okay but generally when someone is branded a fool in the bible throughout the bible when you say you know the psalms or the proverbs say something about a fool it generally has to do with someone who believes there is no God or is rebelling against God or is God-less, okay? So to be branded a fool in the Bible is like major. It's like disdain, contempt, you can't, you know. So, so Jesus says it, if, it's kind of like this. If you call somebody, if you are mad at someone and you say raka, you're saying, I hate you because you're so stupid. I'm angry with you because you're an idiot. If that's what raka is, then saying you fool roughly would equate to saying, you know what, you're not even worth hating. You're nothing. You're godless, disdain and contempt. When you have contempt for someone, that, that when, you, when you don't, there's nothing there, all bets are off. You know what I mean? Insults and words have meaning. And we think they don't, but they do. And man, we are in a society, we live in a world, folks, if we're honest with ourselves, we have turned insults into an art form. We, you can turn on any number of reality shows, and what are they about? Going around people's backs, dissing people, catfighting, calling each other's names. There's names, I've heard words, I don't even know what they mean anymore. I'm too old, you know, I'm out of kind of, I mean, but they and I'll say a word, my daughter will say, Dad, that's, that's not a good word for you to use. I said, why? He said, well, and I said, ooh, you know, I was saying a word. I didn't even know what it meant. I was just trying to be cool, you know. <laughs> I mean, we've turned it into an art form. We even, we even have a, a, a language, a nonverbal gestures where we can express disdain, don't we? If I raise that fist and raise my middle finger, and you saw it, most all of us knew, knows would know what that means. I, I think I would venture to guess all of us knows. Somebody points that at you, you know it isn't, hey, I hope you have a nice day. Da, 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 da. It's not what it means. Does it? If you came to, to me and you wanted to talk to me and I said, 
What does that mean? Talk to the what? Uh-huh. And if I said, made popular by a movie, whatever, whatever, right? And then, of course, there's the popular loser. And then we get all creative in junk, you know, whatever major loser. You know, we put them together. It's funny, man. You go, how did you come? Where did that come? Somebody put some serious brain juice into that. You know, people sit around, wow, that's funny, that's cute, that's creative, and that has meaning. And then we're surprised and shocked by a case like Phoebe Prince, the 15-year-old who three months or so ago hung herself in her, her closet in New Hampshire because apparently she was being tormented by these seven other teenagers in high school. And so now those seven other teenagers have been indicted. They're on court. Their lives are ruined. She's dead. The whole town is split down the middle going, some taking her side, some taking their side, some blaming the authorities, and there's death threats going back and forth in the town. How did that happen? God says in Colossians 3, verse 8, but now you must rid yourselves of all such things as these. Anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips. But they're just words. They're just, it's just uh, this little attitude I have. It's just a thing. Well, Jesus says, listen, what I'm telling you here is there, there, there's a, a progression of anger that leads to murder. It starts off this little seed called anger. And it's planted. And if not dealt with, it grows roots and then shoots. The shoots are bitterness. And then it blooms and leads to rage, which some say is frozen bitterness. And then that leads to contempt, disdain. And once you have that, all bets are off. Even force is justified. Then anything can happen. Anything at all. Anger runs downhill. It's like water. And it runs downhill and it looks for a place to go. And unless it's diverted... It's going to go to the lowest laying areas and form in pools. And that's what these pools are. Malice, bitterness, rage, all these forms, all these pools. And then the more you pour into it over time, if you don't get rid of it, it starts to bubble up, bubble up, bubble up, bubble up. And man, when it gets to a point where it can't go anywhere, guess what happens? You have an eruption. And when you have an eruption, it's ugly and it's dangerous. Get her back here.
You know the thing about anger, the progression of anger, is that while it's happening, it deforms us. It mutilates who we are. We're not thinking straight anymore. You know, we're starting to turn green. You know, we're starting to rip our shirt, and it's getting, it's building, it's building, it's building. And you know, the thing is, Jesus said, look, the green part, that's just a symptom. That's just a, a piece of fruit. Boop! It's popping off the tree. The tree. Deal with the tree. What's going on inside? You know, I have seen this mutilation take place. You have seen it take place. People who have a relationship of respect with one another, all of a sudden, it, it transforms to, to contempt. You know, people who, who admire now have disdain for one another. People who once loved each other now hate each other. Best friends are now bitter enemies. You know what's happened? There's been a progression, a progression, a mutilation. These pools have been bubbling up, and it's waiting and it's waiting, and it's waiting. And on the outside, it's not, but on the inside, it, you know. Am I scaring you when I do that? <laughs> it's ugly, but it happens. And you know, it's, it's, it's even scarier than that. Because as this progression is going on, not only does it deform us from within, but we're blinded to it. We don't even know what's happening. I can testify to that. We just come and we, you know, worship and we say the, on the outside, how you doing? Well, on the inside, that person walks in here, how you doing? You know, we're good at that. Coming to church, being all nice and, you know, and, and there's, there's this stuff inside of us towards someone else that God said, listen, this is serious stuff. Because when you're in the midst of it, you're blinded to it. That's why we hear in 1 John 2, Nine, the following description of what I'm talking about. It says, anyone who claims to be in the light, the metaphor that the Bible uses for following God. Following God is light, not following God and not doing what God wants is dark. He says, anyone who claims to be in the light but hates his brother still in the darkness. Whoever loves his brother lives in the light and there is nothing in him to make him stumble. But whoever hates his brother is in the darkness and walks around in the darkness he does not know what, where he is going because the darkness has blinded him. There's a reason it's called blind rage. On the, on the inside, we, you know, you, you think you're fine, but you, you know that's in there. You know that's in there. I'm not talking about even at the green stage, you know. I'm, not talk, I'm talking inside during the progression. You know something's wrong. It's, it, there's a relationship that once was, is no longer there, and whether it was your doing or the person's doing, but it's something's broken, something's wrong. It may be in your background, a family member that hasn't talked to somebody in years because of something that happened. It may be right now, or it may be something that you're thinking about and, and it's brewing inside. I have seen couples who swear their love before God to one another and they love each other unconditionally on one day and then later on after the progression has borne has born fruit, now they can't find enough ways to do harm to one another. Can't stand one another. I have seen churches whack right down the middle. 
or splinters because people just can't. And people leave, but they leave with their attitudes. You know, it, it, just, it just mutilates, deforms, and all the while we're blinded to it. We think, oh, no, this is okay. Jesus challenges us here at the core, and he says, no, it's not okay. Okay, God, so it's not okay. And um, I struggle with this. Um, what do I do? What do you want me to do, God? So it's great about Jesus. He, he, he doesn't just leave us in this state. <laughs> right after he says, you know, murder is wrong, but Rocco's wrong, and you fool is wrong, and it's dangerous. He goes right after that. We go back to that original section of Scripture, and he, and he gives us a couple practicals that we can do to head this off at the pass, because really, it is going to be a matter of choice, and choices determines outcome. We're going to make a choice when we're in this state, whether we are already in the state or whether we get the opportunity, which we all have ample opportunity to, to get angry. We're going to, we're going to come to a crossroads, kind of like that video. What do you want me to do? Okay, I can either go left and let it go, or I can go right and indulge it. And you know, let me tell you, in, Indulging anger tastes good. It makes you feel like, yeah, I don't get mad. I just get even. You know, you carry it around. You think you're doing something to somebody, don't you? Uh-huh, uh-huh. Let me dangle it over their head. You know what I mean? It just feels better to indulge it and not to just let it go and not make it personal. And Jesus says, be careful. And let me give you a couple of ways out of this thing right after he says that do not murder paragraph i i, I uh, read he goes on to say this in matthew 6 i'm uh, matthew 5 sorry verse 23 therefore okay so i just said this therefore if you are offering your gift at the altar and there you remember that a brother has something against you leave your leave, leave your gift there in front of the altar first go and be reconciled to your brother then come and offer your gift. He goes on to say, settle matters quickly with your adversary who is taking you to court. Do it while you're still with him on the way. Or he may hand you over to the judge and the judge may hand you over to the officer and you may be thrown into prison. I tell you the truth, you will not get out until you have paid the last penny. Again, Jesus says there's consequences here. It's a couple of practicals. He goes, Okay, this is all about choices with this anger on the way home or during this week or what's gone on in the past. You've got choices to make. Don't indulge it. He said the first thing to do is make it the supreme priority in your life. And he says it this way. Jesus, I love the way he just gave examples and stuff that happened and maybe didn't happen. He said, if you're offering your gift at the altar, now offering your gift at the altar to a Jew is the most sacred thing. For us, it would be, wow, if I'm in the middle of something sacred, whatever it is to you, right? It might be on the way, you know, you're sitting here in church. Or for me, it might be, oh, I'm coming up. I got a real responsibility. I got to preach to these people and I stand up here. Or maybe Joel bringing his guitar, putting the mic up and getting ready to lead us in worship. And before he strings the chords, one time he goes, guys, I'm going to have to get back to you in a minute because I got to go deal with something. 
And he puts his guitar away and he walks out. He says, Castle, I need to talk to you. Because he remembered that I had something against him, that something had happened, and he remembered his responsibility. He didn't even do it to me, but I, I felt something toward him. Jesus says, if you're offering your gift at the altar, and there you remember that your brother has something against you, you didn't do it, but you know he has something against you, whether you, did, you, you caused it or not. Interrupt, time out, para un momentico, that's Spanish for one moment. You know, let's, let's go talk. Put the gift down. Put the guitar down. Put the, close the Bible. Get up out of the church seat. I mean, that's pretty, that's pretty radical stuff. And what God is saying, listen, I, I'm telling you, the, the most important things in this life are Matthew 22, 37, 38. Love me with all your heart and love your brother as yourself. Jesus is, God, Jesus is saying, listen, you can't love me with all your heart if you're, if you're not loving your brother. If you're hating on your brother whom you do see, how can you love me who you don't see? So therefore, I appreciate you want to give me that and praising Jesus and all that. Put it down. First go and make an effort to be reconciled and all that stuff. Then come back and now give it to me, you know? We're cool. Everything's cool. I love you. I loved you before. I just want you to get your priorities straight. Does that make sense? Make it a priority. He says it needs to be a supreme priority. The second thing, he tells this story about these two guys on the way to court. A court, you know, if you've ever been to traffic court, oh, man, you know, it's like pretty, it's not fun. And he says if you're, if you're on the way there, he says, Pull the guy aside and settle matters. Settle matters quickly with your adversary. He makes up this story. These two guys are going, and, and, you know, he says, deal with it there. So he talked about making it of supreme importance, making it priority. Now he says, do it urgently. Do it now. Do it on the way. I think he's, he's making a point that this thing needs to be done quick. Well, Why? Because the longer that seed is in there, the deeper the root ball is in the ground, and the bigger the branches, and the more the fruit, and the greener the beast within. Do it quickly. As a matter of fact, that same verse that I mentioned earlier, Ephesians 4.26, that began with, do not sin in your anger. You know what it ends with? Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry. Sometimes, to be honest with you, I hate some of the things that the Bible says. <laughs> They're so hard, and they speak to me. I don't want to. I want to be, put that bottom lip way out and pout because it feels better. He says, no, no. He says, deal with it with urgency. Another choice we can make, make a choice to pray for the person who hurt you. It's tough. It's tough. A little, while, a little ways later, when Jesus is talking about something else on the Sermon on the Mount, he said in Matthew 5, verse 43, you've heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemy and pray for those who persecute you. It's a tough one. But Jesus, you, you mean to tell me this person who just figuratively smacked me upside the head and is talking behind my back and is done this all these years and did, it caused me all this grief and you mean this person who hurt me and it, you mean it, pray for them. What do you mean, Lord? Well, let me give you an example. And he was on the cross and the people who drove in the nails scourged, scourged him, put the crown on his, beat the tar out of him, 
and are now down there looking up at him as he's hanging, and they're still, they're not letting up, hurling insults at him. He said, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they do. He was praying for those people, and I'm grateful he was because I was one of those people. He models that behavior. You know, when you pray for someone who you really have a hard time with or you just flat out don't like your enemy, you know what that does? I don't know exactly what it does, but it's really hard to leave that prayer with the same attitude. My wife and I have this common practice that if a couple comes to us and they're just in the middle of a melee, he said this and she said, Dad, can you straighten him out? Can you talk to him or talk to her? She do it. You know what we say? Have you prayed together? Huh? Go pray together and then call. And, and if you want, for an added bonus, why don't you hold hands while you pray? That's when you might get the, you know, that's hard stuff to do. But you know something? If you humble yourself and you say, okay, Lord, let me start this prayer, something like this. Don't let them die on the way home. Don't have everybody hate them. You know, it might start, it might be tough to get going. You know, you, you may just need to get the ball rolling. But if you start praying, God, bless them, help them. They've got a story. I remember I was out on 751 in Chapel Hill. Not long after, I, my hair was wet from baptism. I was a new believer, and I was driving down the road. I was a lot younger, and I thought I was a lot cooler, you know, and I was driving down the road. And this young guy, he must have been a UNC student or something, came up and just cut me off and, boom, got in front of me. And, and to top things off, he stuck his hand on the window and gave me the universal sign of discontentment. You know, he flipped me the old bird. Before I knew it, Mr. Baptized, Christ believing, saved, Christ follower, found himself, his, his foot was completely down on the pedal, and he was looking like the Hulk, and he, I was about that far from his bumper. And he hit me, and I said, Lord, this young man's having a bad day. Took the foot off. I pray you help him find what I found, because that was me about five minutes ago. <laughs> and you know what? Stopped hyperventilating. And over the years, it gets a little bit easier. I don't think it ever goes away, <laughs> you know. But it works. When you pray for those who you have hurt you, something happens. It may take a lot of prayer, depending on a, a lot of hurt. And the last choice that I'll leave you with, and maybe the most difficult choice we have to make, is we have to make a choice to do what Jesus did, and that is to forgive as we've been forgiven. Forgive as we've been forgiven. I had a conversation with a dear friend this week. We caught up, and uh, he, he shared this, and I, I, I said, wow, that's, that's incredible. How'd you do it? And I said, you know, could I ever share this, you know, in generalities? He said, absolutely. Uh, he was a guy, a real God-fearing man who raised his kids, and, you know, the kids got older, and he had a daughter who was particularly rebel. You know, she just kind of was doing her own thing, kind of like, but it got worse and worse and worse and progressive point where she was, you know, doing stuff and all this. And he was trying everything to help her and love her and, you know, all that. And, and, and then finally one time it just culminated. She ran away uh, for the umpteenth time. But this time she went out and she spread a rumor that he was sexually molesting her. Now, 
you know, when the law gets involved, and I mean, you know, that that th- that just is a whole new ball game. He said, he said after she had done this, you know, she'd done all these things. This was years ago. He goes, I gave her nothing. I tried to help. I love her. I, I was there, at it. and she was doing all this crazy. And then she spreads this rumor about me. And then everybody starts coming to me. He said, you know what I did? That's it. I'm done with her. No more. I'm not her father. That's real life. And then with tears in his eyes, he's sharing this, and he says, and she just, she just kept doing it. He said, you know what that did to me? That ripped me from the inside out. He said, I said, what'd you do? He said, oh, man, it took everything in me not to, not to go and hurt her. But she was dead. He goes, but then I got some wise counsel. Time went by. I started praying. I started looking at Jesus on the cross. I realized who I was more and more. And little by little, that stuff started to go. And I realized, man, I'm her father. You know, these many, many, many years later, she is, she and he are close, close. But that was tough. I said, man, prayer. Every single day, crying out to God, letting it go. You know, the deeper the wound, the harder it is to forgive. But forgiveness is mainly for me because I'm turning green from the inside out it's destroying me someone once said that you know when we're angry at someone and we keep that in there it's kind of like bitterness it's like you know drinking poison and expecting someone else to die we're dying Jesus said listen if you want to have the kind of life that you can have you can really have it you don't understand my hurt you can have this you don't understand what people done. you can have this Look to the cross. Look to Jesus and say, man, if he could forgive people from the cross, if he could forgive me, th- this, this can work. But I want to challenge you. It isn't easy. The deeper the wound, the harder it is. Maybe you have to go back to a family member. Maybe there's something going on right now that you need to apologize for or follow up on or whatever. I, I was doing this lesson, and I, I was like, Wow. I called a dear friend of mine, very spiritual man who knows me inside and out, doesn't always give me what I want to hear, but what I need to hear. And I said, listen, this situation, is there anything inside here that sounds like it's bitterness or unresolved or whatever? And he said, well, no, it just, you know, just because you, you don't agree with something doesn't mean you're unresolved or you're not going to feel something. You're not gonna, forgiveness doesn't mean forgetting, okay? But you, you, will, you will have a sense of peace, what does God want me to do? Well, some of the things he said, look at seriously at anger, not the way the world looks at it. Realize that it's natural, it's normal. At times it's good if we do it according to the way God gets angry. But deal with it quickly, urgently. Take it seriously. Pray about it. Forgive freely. And, 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 and like it says in Romans 12, as as far as it's up to you, make every effort to live at peace with everyone. Sometimes you can't. Sometimes someone doesn't want to live in peace, but you, ha- you and I have the personal responsibility to make every effort. Let's pray. Father, thank you that you have um, given us the example, the ultimate example uh, of, of peace, of reconciliation, 
of selflessness uh, in Jesus. Thank you that uh, every single person in this room, uh, Father, we don't just have to believe that on a high churchy level, that it can be personal, practical, and it can enrich our lives and free us up from all the garbage that tangles us and we're, we're so apt to fall into. Father, I pray for those especially who have deep wounds. The deeper the wound, I pray for them most. I pray that you would help them to be able to look to you and you would give them the power and the hope and the, the, ultimately the freedom that comes through reconciliation and through letting things go and forgiving freely. We love you and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.